thank you so much, Pastor Chuck. Thank you, church fan. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Come on. Can we make some noise? Before we dive in this morning, I want to honor your pastor. I think many times honor in our society is overlooked because many times we're rushing around, we're so busy, we don't really fully know what honoring is. Can I just tell you, coming from the pastoral world, I've been a pastor for almost nine years now. And let me just say this, to find a pastor at one church for 20 years that loves this community, that's rare. That's rare. Can we give it up for Pastor Chuck, the sacrifice, his family? Thank you. I honor you today, sir. And I don't take it lightly. Well, greetings from the metropolis of Lafayette, Louisiana. It's not a metropolis. Many times when people think of Lafayette, Louisiana, they go, where is that? And I just say it's South Louisiana. They say, oh, like the swamp people. And I say, no, it's not like the swamp people. We don't do that all the time. We only do it on Thursdays. No, I'm <laughs> totally kidding. But if you do make your way down there, we love food in South Louisiana. It is what we do. It is who we are. We love people. Hospitality is what you will fall in love with. This is like kind of the South Tennessee. We, it's kind of the South. When you get into the deep South, you're gonna go over to T-Boy's house, Thibodeau's house, a bear's house, and they're going to cook a meal for you. Something with a lot of seafood in it, crawfish. You know, basically a Cajun came one time and he said, what can we find in a ditch? And they found a little, little crawfish looking thing. And they said, why don't we eat this right here? And that's essentially what it is. And so if you make your way down there, it is an awesome, awesome place. Uh, I, I've been pastoring there for almost nine years. Wonderful, married to my wife of 16 years, 16 years next month. What a joy it is to have five kids. People are going, what's wrong with you? Why would you have five kids? And I tell them, I don't love kids. I just love my wife. That's what it is. My kids are the ages between 11 and three, okay? See, see I, I get that reaction all the time. Oh. Yes, continue to pray for us, please, please. Well, I'm excited to be here and, and give you, I, I believe the Lord has given us a word this morning. I don't believe it's me. I, I believe he's given us a word this morning. And I'm honored to be here. But before we dive in, can I ask, let me ask you a question. Will you trust me this morning? Okay, there's four people that said yes. Thank you, you four people over there. Will you trust me this morning? Yes, trust me this morning. Why? Because I'm not a speaker. I'm a pastor. And there's a big difference because a pastor is a shepherd that wants to lead you somewhere. And this morning, I want to lead you somewhere. A shepherd's job is to guide you someplace better than where you previously were. And if you allow me this morning and allow the Holy Spirit to speak, I believe he's going to lead all of us, me included, to a better place. Now, by show of hands, how many want to be a better place this morning? Come on. Somebody, my, my pastor told me, you lie, you fry in church. I just, that's what I heard, Okay. It's not true. But I want you to trust me this morning because I believe the Lord has given me a word for you this morning. Can we, can we pray one more time this morning? Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word, God. We know that your Holy Spirit changes lives. It's not my words. I pray I get out of the way so that you can come forward, God. And today we're gonna leave this service not saying what great worship we had, what a great message we heard. We're gonna leave here saying what a great God that we serve. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 
Amen. I did have the blessing of playing in the NFL for a while. Very blessed to be able to do that. Went through Georgia Tech and then had a short stint with the Atlanta Falcons and then ended up uh, playing the rest of my career with the New Orleans Saints for the next four seasons. And we did make it to the Super Bowl. Many of you are not paying attention to me, but to my ring up here. Don't worry, you can see that afterwards, okay? Don't get distracted by the shiny things. Squirrel, no, okay, not squirrel. But many times people, uh, you know, how did you get that? What was it like playing in the Super Bowl? And uh, as Pastor Chuck said, I, I made a play. It was uh, one play. It was an onside kick. Many people are, uh, say, well, what is that, Pastor Chris? <laughs> an onside kick is, is usually when you kick off, but you only kick it 10 yards and you try to grab the ball. That's essentially what it is. And so we were blessed coming out of halftime, playing the, the Colts and Peyton Manning and, uh, in 2010. And what a great time it was. And we kicked that onside kick. I was never supposed to recover the ball. I was just a, a guy looping behind. And as I looped behind, the ball came flying at me and I did what every normal person would do. I threw my hands and body at it and I went down with it. And all of a sudden, everything went black, boom. And it felt like there was a Mack truck laying on top of me. Because back then you had guys coming off the sideline trying to pull guys off. And I promise you, there's only 22 guys that are supposed to be on the field, but there was probably about 40 on the field at that time. And everybody was trying to get that ball, but I held on to that ball. For 63 seconds, they didn't make a call, and I was under that pile. They say, I have people in our congregation come up and ask, Pastor Chris, what was it like underneath that pile? And here's what I tell them very clearly. You don't want to know what it was like underneath that pile. I mean, pulling, kicking, biting. You're like, how do they bite through a face mask? You get creative, I promise you. But biting, kicking, pulling, my forearms were burning and I knew I was just gonna hold on to that ball. And sure enough, I came out by the blessing of God. I came out with it. I didn't know that that was gonna be a game-changing play. I didn't know that it was going to lead us to win. I didn't know that afterwards I would have reporters coming up to little old me saying, how did you do that? And all I said was, I just fell on a ball. But it's crazy that it's touted as one of the greatest Super Bowl plays in history. And every year around this time, I get calls, interviews, different things, because they want to ask how that play was made. In fact, 13 years later, can you imagine 13 years, 13 years later, I still have people in Louisiana coming up to me, grown men crying, man, thank you, thank you. Seriously, grown men weeping. At first, I think they want me to pray for them. They don't. They just want to say thank you for me falling on a ball. I, matter of fact, I had one guy come up to me one time and he said, I just want to thank you so much. Matter of fact, it meant so much to me. I, I named my kid after you. He named his son after me. His son's name is Reese, spelled the same way as I'm just, I'm like, what's wrong with you, man? I'm sorry. What's wrong with you? But it's crazy because fans are crazy. And being a fan is amazing and it's great when it comes to sports and other fun hobbies and things to do. But can I tell you, many times we carry that fan mentality over to our faith. We carry that fan mentality over to our faith when it comes to Jesus. And we end up being a fan of Jesus. And you're going, well, there's nothing wrong with being a fan of Jesus. And you're like, you're right, it's fun. The problem of being a fan with Jesus is fans never really get in the game. 
I got a lot of people that come up to me and going, Pastor Chris, guess what? I played junior high ball and I was like, awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I was pretty good, but then I I tore my knee and that's why I couldn't go to the NFL. I'm like, that's probably why. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) And as a fan, you are observing, you're looking from the outside in. And what does this look like for our faith? Many times it's a routine. We get stuck in ruts where you get stuck in a routine or maybe you've grown up and it's been your parents' faith and so you've come to this church or another church or a Baptist church or wherever and it's always been about your parents' faith. You're a fan. You're not really taking a step further. And many times fans just like Jesus but they don't want to deal with the tough parts. They like heaven and they want to get there one day but they're just okay with saying, maybe it's just coming to church. You see, being a fan of Jesus is saying that I wanna be close enough to him to be associated with him to get the benefits, yet not so close that it requires something from me. You see, that's being a fan of Jesus. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus didn't call us to be fans. He called us to be followers. Matter of fact, he says it in Matthew chapter four, verse 19, his very first call, he said, come follow me. He made it very clear that Jesus doesn't call us to be fans. He doesn't call us to observe. He doesn't call us to do any of that, but to follow him. He says it even better in Luke 9, verse 23. He says, then he said to all of them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily. And what's those next words? Follow me. Follow me. I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. Am I a fan or am I a follower? You see, I grew up, I was just a fan of Jesus. I grew up Catholic. Many people around here, that doesn't make any sense, but down south in South Louisiana, that makes a lot of sense. I I grew up Catholic and I, I was a fan of Jesus. I went to church, I did the church thing, I got confirmed, I went through Sunday school, I did all those right steps and I thought it was really good, I tried to be good enough. I was a fan of Jesus, but I wasn't a follower of Jesus. The problem was I didn't know that. And so about 13 years old, I go to my mom, my single mom, who is amazing and she's wonderful because my dad left when I was two years old. My dad had addictions that he struggled with and he left our family. So my mom raised us the best that she could. And she is amazing even still today. And she prayed for me. And she realized that I wasn't really getting anything out of where I was in the Catholic church. It just wasn't for me. And so she said, okay, well, I'm gonna go to a different church. So we go from a Catholic church to a Baptist church. Now, talk about shock. And so I stepped into this little 50-person church that was founded in the 1800s in in rural Georgia. And I step in there and the average age was 62 probably. And and I walked in and half the congregation was in the choir church, if you know what I mean. It was amazing. And I was like, this is going to be lame. This is going to be terrible. I don't want to have to deal with this. You see, because my life was about performance. I was a good sports athlete and so I I just wanted to go and do fun things and perform and and for people to see me and so my identity was in performance and when I went to this church I thought I was going to just another church but Pastor Ricky got up and I still remember country Pastor Ricky you know and he got up and it was the first time I heard somebody talk about Jesus I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ the good news 
And can I tell you, it rocked me that day. But I didn't want just to be rocked like that. I didn't want to just hear the message. I didn't understand it. So what I did was I just sat on it. I didn't respond to it. And each and every single Sunday, we kept going back and I kept hearing more of the gospel and understanding it more and more and more until finally one day, when I was 17 years old, I was a senior in high school. Everything was going right in my life. I had football offers from so many different places I could have gone. And all of a sudden, I'm driving home in my car and the Holy Spirit, I can't explain it, but the Holy Spirit came into the car. And I had this overwhelming sense of conviction in my heart. And the Holy Spirit spoke and he says, you've been good enough, but you can never be good enough without me. You think good is good. The Bible says, no, not one is good. In that car, 17 years old, I pulled over, I'm crying. I give my life to Jesus right then and there. I rush home and I end up telling my mama, hey, I sit on the side of the bed. I'll remember it like it was yesterday where I told my mom that I gave my life to Jesus in my car. And she went on to explain to me of what Jesus really did for my soul. That while I was still a sinner, the Bible says Christ died for me. Even when I was a fan and yet a follower, he died for me. That he died for me and he rose from the grave. And many people miss this part of the gospel because they, they just want to get the salvation part. But can I tell you, it says he ascended into, the right, uh, into heaven at the right hand of the Father. What does that mean? It means he is now King Jesus. Which means when this world is going dark, we can be okay because he is King and King and Lord of Lords. There is a hope in that today. And I found that hope at 17 years old and it changed my life. Now, how many know, I wish it was perfect after that, right? You go on, you, you get to Jesus and you just walk a perfect life after that. This, this is not how it works, right? I say this right now, God doesn't require perfection, but he does require direction. That he wants the direction of your life pointing in that. I took that first step. Now I need to know what it meant to follow Jesus. So my question this morning I want us to wrestle with is, how do we know if we're a fan or we're a follower? Because I can tell right now, can I just, let me pause for a second. This is even in my notes. In the body of Christ right now, what's happening is there's a huge assessing value that's coming where people are not assessing where they are with Jesus. And many of them are believers who have been complacent and now they're sitting and they get into what I call fan mode and they're stuck and they don't know how to move. And the problem is no one teaches us how to assess our spiritual life. You know, we get assessments all the time when it comes to personality assessments, leadership assessments. When you interview for a job, you might've had an assessment, your, your gifts assessments, all these great things. But whoever came up and said, hey, have you assessed your walk with Jesus lately? And what do we normally do? Well, I go to church, I pray, I do that. It, that if those are the litmus tests for my walk with Jesus, well, then it's really just about doing good things enough to get in good graces with God. There has to be something more. How do we know if we're a fan or we're a follower? How many of you enjoy puzzles in here this, this morning? I'm a puzzler. My family's a puzzler. We like puzzling. And many times my kids, unfortunately, lose the box. How many parents know that? And it's really hard to make a puzzle without the, the picture. 
you don't know how to put the pieces together without the box. I'm going, where's the box? And my, my five-year-old's going like, I lost it, daddy. And I'm like, really? And so what you do is you spread all the pieces out and you just find two similar pieces. This morning, I just want to look at two similar pieces of a fan or a follower. I want to look at the word of God this morning and see the difference between two similar pieces. And I want to talk this morning about two disciples. One was named Peter. The other was named Judas. Come on. How many people are named Peter in here this morning or know somebody named Peter? Raise your hand. Come on, participate with me. There we go. Okay, how many people know, name, know a Judas? How many people are, are named Judas in here? No one is. And if you raise your hand in there, you're a liar. I know you are, okay? Why? No one wants to be named Judas, right? What do you mean? The guy who betrayed Jesus, right? No one wants to be named like that. But if you look at Judas and Peter together, Peter together, watch this. You see two things. Both were chosen by Jesus. Both were a part of the 12 disciples. Both of them walked with Jesus for three years of his ministry, who saw the miracles, the teachings, who experienced everything that Jesus had to offer that we read in the gospels. But watch this. Both of them messed up big time at the end of Jesus's ministry. For Judas, we know the story of Judas, that he's known as the betrayer because he turned over Jesus for just a little sack of coins, for money. He betrayed Jesus for money. But Peter wasn't any better. People are going, well, Peter was much better. No, he wasn't. He denied Jesus three times. And he vowed to his face that he would never deny him. And what did he do? When Jesus would at his lowest point, he was like, I don't know that man. And they're like, surely you're, you're with that Galilean over there. He's like, I do not know that man. And some of us are sitting in here this morning. You're going, I would never deny Jesus. You, you absolutely would, trust me. We all would. Because Peter struggled with that. And he didn't just do it once. He did it three times, the word says. So we have one who betrayed Jesus and one who denied Jesus. Both of them messed up. Listen to me this morning. It's inevitable that we will fail. Failures will happen. But it's not about if failures will happen. It's about how we'll respond out of those failures that really makes a fan or a follower. Because no one likes fair weather fans, right? When your team's losing, all of a sudden you deny them. When your team's winning, you wear jersey to church and you're proud of it, right? No one likes fair weather fans. But this morning, I just want to look at Peter. And I want to see, what was his response? How was Jesus, how was Peter a follower of, of the resurrected Jesus? How was Peter different than what Judas did? You see, because Judas, if you know the story, he went out and he hung himself. He jumped out. He responded as a Fairweather fan and said, I'm out of here. But Peter didn't do that. Matter of fact, we're going to look in John chapter 21 this morning. We're going to read about nine verses. I'm going to close with three points and then we're going to be done. But we're going to look at Peter's response. And he's responding to a resurrected Jesus. This is after the resurrection. And he's coming there and the disciples are lost. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. They're clueless. And they've seen the resurrected Jesus. And in John chapter 21, verse 1, here's what it says. Afterward, Jesus appeared to his disciples and by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way, that Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. 
I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out, got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Isn't it interesting that when they didn't know what to do without Jesus, they went back to the old life. They went back to the old way. Jesus called them out and said, I'm gonna teach you to be a fisher of men, but yet they went back to fishing. How many times do we go back to the old when God has always called us to the new? He's called us to the new. Verse four, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Verse six, and he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Where we see that Judas jumped out, we see that Peter jumped in. You see, that's what a follower does. It jumps in. When the world gets darker, a follower jumps in. When social media is saying one thing, follower jumps in. My pastor said it this way. If the world is saying the same thing, it's probably not what God is saying. What do you mean, Pastor? If the world is screaming the same thing, it's probably not what God is saying. And that's hard for us to differentiate. But when you're a follower, you can tell the difference. And so this morning, I just wanna, I wanna look at three things that Peter did, three things that we can see, three things that a follower will do and does as Peter did. I want to look at his pattern this morning and look at that. Three distinguishing traits of a follower. Number one, you can write this down. A follower listens to Jesus's word. A follower listens to Jesus's word. Peter listened to Jesus when he was fishing all night. And all night he was fishing and he didn't catch anything. But when Jesus came up, he said, friend, Cast your net on the other side of the boat. You know, it never, the text never says that Peter said, why? He never goes like, well, that's dumb. We don't fish during the day, we fish at night. Back in the first century, they fished in shallow waters and they fished at night. They didn't fish during the day. So when early morning came, it made no sense for Peter to throw it on the other side of the boat. He had no reason. Peter didn't ask why. How many times do we ask why? My kids right now are in that why mode. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where I tell them to do something, they ask, why? 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 And many of our responses is, is, is this, because I said so, right? <laughs> I'm so glad that our God doesn't do that. And I tell my kids all the time, because I stopped and I've learned patience to some extent, and I tell them this, obedience comes before understanding. I'm gonna say that again. Obedience comes before understanding. You obey me and you get the why later. And they go, well, that's silly. I don't wanna do this. Just tell me why. And I said, because I'm preparing you for when God calls you to do something that doesn't make sense, like throw the net on the other side of the boat, you don't question 
because you don't understand it. You obey it and then God gives you the understanding. God gives you the understanding then. Maybe you're in that spot this morning where God is calling you to do something that you don't fully understand. Maybe it's change a job. Maybe it's move. Maybe it's get more involved in the church. Maybe it's step up and really be a follower of Jesus. Maybe men, it's time for you to start praying with your wives. Not just at meals by saying grace, but in the mornings, in the evenings. Maybe he's asking you to do something you don't fully understand, but I I know where you're coming from because I never wanted to be a pastor. (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but in college, I didn't major in pastoring, okay? I didn't ever want, a matter of fact, before we moved down, we lived in Georgia after my NFL career and we had a couple kids there and before, I traveled around the country um, and, and, and did some speaking. And I'm telling you right now, I, I never wanted to be a pastor. Matter of fact, I told people before I ever moved down to Lafayette, Louisiana from Georgia, I said, I'll never work at a church and I'll never be a pastor. Come on, watch out when you say never before God. He does have a sense of humor. And sure enough, I moved, I went to speak at a church in Lafayette, Louisiana called Our Savior's Church. Had no idea where it was, what it was about. I flew down there. I spoke much like today and the pastor looked at me and he said, you want a job? And I said, absolutely not. (laughs) He said, I just want you to pray about coming down here and being being on staff here. And I was like, "I, I, I don't think so. Well, God has a sense of humor Because God said, okay, you don't want to pray. I'm going to make you pray about it. And so he made it snow and ice in South Louisiana for three days, okay? Hell truly froze over, I promise you. For three days, it iced and snowed where me and my wife got caught. In three days, our flights got canceled and we had to stay there. And the pastor took me to dinner and he looked at me and he said, there's a pastor inside of you. I felt like Elizabeth when he said that. My baby just started jumping inside of me. Because little did I know that something, God was impregnating me with something in that moment. And it was that pastor, it was my pastor that said, you're called to be a pastor. And I was like, me? I went to my wife and I told her and she's like, we are not moving here to South Louisiana. (laughs) I said, okay. We went back to Georgia and we prayed on it. We prayed on it. We prayed on it. I felt it in my spirit. We were supposed to do it. We were supposed to take the leap. And my wife came to me and she said, well, what do you think we should do? I said, I don't know. What do you think we should do? (laughs) Smart man right there, smart. And she said, I think we should do it. And I said, yeah. I said, why? She said, because the comfortable thing is to stay here with all our friends and family. But the uncomfortable thing and probably the faithful thing is to go. Even when we don't know. And I told her, I feel the exact same way. And I told her this, I said, I don't want my kids to be telling me, oh, dad, well, did you ever have radical faith without question? And I can say, absolutely, I did. Because I would rather be obedient than to sit in comfort. And if that stirs something inside of you, that's not me, that's the Holy Spirit. because he's always called us to follow. And in following, there's a movement. Matter of fact, a follower of Jesus, a follower of a rabbi in the first century, literally, you mimic that rabbi. You would walk within their footsteps and you would mimic that rabbi 
the way they talked, the way they walked, the way they would move. It was a part of their culture. You see, followers listen and obey even if it's difficult because it's so much better being obedient to Jesus because we can find life wherever we are. See, followers listen to Jesus' word. Number two, you can write this down. A follower looks to Jesus as the way. A follower looks to Jesus as the way. The text says that Peter jumped in the water. Now we can, we can assume that Peter was looking towards Jesus or else he wouldn't have known where he was. And so Peter is looking at Jesus and he jumps in and he swims after him. You know, we have a saying in football that eyes are the key, okay? In football, we have a saying that eyes are the key. And my, a coach told me a long time ago, he said, Chris, where your eyes go, your body will follow. And I've always took, take that as, as almost literal, not just in a football stance, but in my spiritual life as well. Because where your eyes go, your body will follow. Many of us over the past few years, especially since 2020, have been distracted because our eyes have got on Fox News or CNN instead of on Jesus. Our eyes have gotten on social media where we think we're not good enough, where everybody's posting these amazing pictures on Instagram about what they ate that day. And it's like, well, I don't cook that good of meals, right? And we feel less than. And when our eyes get off of the wrong thing, we start walking that way because where your eyes go, your body will follow. You see, a coach once told me, he said, you can't hit what you can't see. And many people don't know the goal of Christianity. They think it's to get to heaven, to be good enough. And if you grew up that way, I'm sorry that you learned bad theology or maybe you misheard, but the goal of Christianity is not to get to heaven. You're going, what? This pastor's crazy. <laughs> It's not to get to heaven. It's not to be good enough. Can I tell you what the goal of Christianity is? And this is huge. Don't miss this. Is for us to be like Jesus. God sent down a sacrifice, but yet he sent down a model for us to model after. And what Jesus modeled, Jesus meant. It's a model for us. Many of us think it's about reading our Bibles, which is awesome. Many of us think it's about praying, which is awesome. But we do those things because Jesus did those things. And the fact that Jesus did those, we know that as Jesus did it, it wasn't to be good enough. It was to be one with the Father, he said. So watch this. When we are like Jesus and become like Jesus in reading our Bible, in praying, in serving a local church, in being a part of a community, in tithing, when we give and we are like Jesus, we in fact grow closer with the Father as Jesus with the Father. That's what a follower does. A follower walks the way of Jesus as our example. But many times we can get distracted. I know I've been distracted. I've, I've been in fan mode before where my eyes got on something else. And they're not necessarily bad things. They're just not the best things. Matter of fact, I, I remember right after the Super Bowl, I was living my 15 minutes of fame. Come on, church. I was living my 15 minutes of fame. And it was sure 15 minutes, I promise you. And it was amazing. And after, after the Super Bowl, the next morning we woke up and I turned on ESPN and like they said my name on ESPN. I'm like, what? 
And it was amazing. And then two weeks after the Super Bowl, we, we have a parade and people know my name. I'm walking in New Orleans. I had long hair at the time. They're like, Reese. I'm like, what's up? You know, like I was somebody special. And we go back home to Georgia about a month later and reality begins to set in. I remember driving in my car. I don't know why the Lord speaks to me in my car. And I remember just a deep, dark cloud coming over me. I remember thinking to myself, what's next? Many people don't get to live out their dream. As a little kid, I dreamt. Can I tell you, church? I dreamt of playing in the NFL. I did that. I dreamt of being in a Super Bowl. I did that. Every little kid in the backyard dreams of making that play that can change the game or win the game or just to be a part of it, I got to do that. And this almost depressive spirit came over me and I just, I just thought to myself, what's next? What more can I accomplish? And what the Holy Spirit revealed to me, he said, your eyes are off. You're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at your accomplishments instead of my way for you. And I got into fan mode and I'm so thankful that the Lord pulled me out of fan mode and I got back into a follower mode. It's okay if your eyes are off right now. It's okay, listen, it's okay if you've been fooled by the world. The world doesn't get me. Yes, it does. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay that, that you've fallen off or, or you backslidden as some would say. It's okay that you've gotten into fan mode. It's not okay to stay in fan mode. It's not okay to stay in fan mode because God always calls us to be a follower. And finally, number three, a follower moves intentionally toward Jesus. Follower moves intentionally towards Jesus. We see Peter jump in the water. Now, I don't know how far away from shore they were. Can I just tell you, church, they weren't that far out, I promise you. He could have waited, but he didn't. Peter jumped in, he moved toward Jesus. The other disciples, they wanted to have the fish with them, right? Come on. They saw the haul and they said, I'm gonna catch some fish. Come on, I'm, this is a good haul. I'm gonna make some money right here. We'll pull that and we'll go see Jesus, right? But Peter said, I'm gonna cast off everything and I'm gonna jump into the water, I'm gonna move. You see, Peter made two moves. The first one was he made a move towards Jesus. Listen to me. The second move is he made a move away from his past. What do you mean? I want you to remind, remind your, yourself that Peter denied Jesus three times. You know how much shame he probably felt? Do you know what shame he probably felt? Where he didn't want to move towards Jesus, but he knew it was the best thing to it. When he moved towards Jesus, let me just say this, he moved away from his shameful past. When you begin to follow and move towards Jesus, you move away from your old person. Because if you're saying yes to Jesus, you're saying no to everything else. You're saying no to everything else. When you move away, you're saying no to comfort, excuses, guilt, doubt. You jump in towards God because the aim is not to look better for Jesus, but to move closer to Jesus. 
So when you read your Bible, it's not to look better or to be better. It's to move closer to Jesus. So when you pray, it's not to look better or to be better. It's to move closer to Jesus. When you serve at church and you give over your tithes and you support the local body of believers, the expression of Jesus here, you're not just giving to a church. You're not just being good enough. You're moving closer towards Jesus. When you take a step to get water baptized, you're moving closer to Jesus. Can I just tell you, there's a move of God that's happening. Last week at our church, in one of our campuses, we saw 127 people get water baptized. In one day, one day, 127 people said, I'll take my next step. Now, I didn't dunk all of them. Don't worry, okay. 127 people did the inconvenient thing to move towards Jesus. They said, I'll get my hair wet, even though I just did my hair, okay. They said, you got some shorts and shirt for me? Okay, you got a towel for me? I'm gonna, I'm gonna get wet. You see, a movement towards Jesus doesn't think about convenience. It thinks about conviction. A conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because when you move, watch this, listen to me here. Fathers, mothers, grandparents, uncles, aunts, look, look at me, this is so big. Please listen to this. When you move towards Jesus, people notice and it begins changing everyone else around you as well. I know that personally. Because like I told you, my dad left when I was five years old, or excuse me, two years old. When I was two years old, suffered through many addictions. When I got into college, becoming a new believer, somebody, my mentor, the team chaplain, discipled me. And as he was discipling me, I began to grow a heart for my father. And I just knew that if my father could have a relationship with Jesus, if I knew he could see what I see in him, can I just tell you, I knew it would break every addiction in his life. For four years, I prayed for my father that he would come to know Jesus. There were times I never thought it would happen. Until one day I invited him to an FCA event. I was president of our FCA at Georgia Tech and I invited him to an FCA parents breakfast where the parents could come see what we were doing. Little did I know that the, our chaplain would get up and essentially share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I was sitting there, my father actually walked in and he walked into a ballroom. And luckily it was in a ballroom and not in a church because he said if it was in a church, he wasn't gonna come. But it was in a ballroom and it was set up like a church. And so my dad sits down and he hears the gospel and he begins weeping in front of everyone. And as I look down the aisle, I see my dad crying. I don't think I ever seen my dad cry before. Afterwards, he comes up to me, 47 year old man at the time. And he came up to me and he just goes, um, Chris? I said, yeah. He said, I'd love to know more about this Jesus thing. My father was 47. I was 21 years old. At 21 years of age, I led my dad to the Lord. And can I just tell you right now, God did a miracle work breaking every hurt, habit, and hangup that he had in the name of Jesus. And it was a glorious sight to see. And not only did he do that, can I just tell you, he reconciled a relationship between the father and son. You know what I've realized? Listen to this, that God is in the recovery business. He's in the recovery business. 
Just as I grabbed a bouncing ball that was in a Super Bowl and held onto it, God has grabbed us through his son, Jesus, dying on a cross for our sins and raising him to life again. And God always invites us. He invites us to be with him, to be with the family of followers. And for Peter, Peter was swimming to shore. And I want you to realize in that text, in John 21, as Peter swam to shore, Peter didn't just greet Jesus going, you denied me three times. Yeah, great, thanks a lot, you know. He wasn't even greeted with a hugging Jesus. You're like, what? It said that as Peter came to shore, Jesus had a meal ready. Can I tell you, Jesus always invites people to the table. He invites people to just be with him. Because when you're at the table, there's intimacy that happens. There's conversation that's happened. There's a heart that is exchanged. There's a place for you at Jesus's table. We just have to listen. We just have to look. And we just have to move. Then we can go from a fan to a follower. At this time, I want to invite our prayer leaders up, our, our worship team up, the band up. Because I want to go into a movement time. Can we do that? I want to go into a movement time, a time of reflection, a time of prayer, but also a time of movement. Because I believe there is a, there's a time for every season under the sun. But this is a time for us right now to move. For some of you, that movement could be, and we're going to have prayer partners down here. We're going to have our prayer leaders down here. For some of you, you need to go from a fan to a follower. You need to commit your life to Jesus for the first time and say, I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. For some of you, you need to recommit your life. You've been a fan for way too long, and it's okay. But you need to recommit your life to Jesus. For others that need to come forward, maybe you need healing. Maybe you just need someone to pray for you. Maybe you're a family that just wants to come together. Maybe there's a marriage that is fractured right now that you just need someone to pray with you, walk with you. Maybe you're going, how do I take my next step to belong to this church? That's my next step is just to be a member. You can come forward. Our prayer team is gonna be here ready to help and pray for you. So let me pray for you. You bowed your heads this morning before we move. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you that you're moving in people's hearts this morning, God. Thank you that even at the sound of my voice, people are gonna begin to come forward. And if that's you, you can just come forward. If you wanna pray with somebody, if you wanna come to know Jesus, you can begin to move forward even as we pray. But God, I thank you right now that people are recommitting their life to Jesus. Right now, here in this room, they're moving from a fan to a follower. So God, I pray. I thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit that allows us to move towards you. And today, God, you're gonna do a great work. Would you ground us today in your word, in your wisdom, and in your ways, God? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.